0: Uh, so my name is Ken, and uh, welcome to Renew Church, and it's good to see all of you um, who are not, I guess, well, some of you are still young adults, too, so <laughs> I guess not everyone. But um, Pastor Wilson and Pastor Dave are at the, the Young Adults Retreat along with a big um, portion of our church, and kind of as Jesse uh, observed <laughs> at the start, it seems that we... Uh, We're the ones that are often the the ones are called upon when everyone, all the pastors are gone, and we're the only ones left to to serve. I kind of the way I interpret it is that Wilson trusts us. Um, So I was actually Wilson's youth pastor when he was when he was a youth. So um, I hope that means (laughs) that's a reason why he trusts me. Um, Our passage here turn this on. Uh, Our passage for today is in Matthew uh, chapter 17 verses 14 to 21. And I was looking back at our Renew Church website. I was looking through some of their old sermon archives. um, And apparently we've been in the book of Matthew for two years. (laughs) And we're still not done. So maybe another year and a half. I believe (laughs) we'll see where we are at, and then eventually maybe we'll get to um, Mark. (laughs) Um, So let me read this passage for us. Actually, let me start with a word of prayer for us. Father God, please um, thank you for your word. May your spirit speak to us. Thank you for um, that you guide us, um, that you provide, that you speak to us Um, in ways that are beyond our own understanding. Um, We ask that you be with us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 17, let me start with from verse 14. I'll read that passage for us. um, If you follow with me. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, "'Lord, have mercy on my son.' For he has seizures, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Now this passage is probably one of the most misrepresented passages um, in in the Gospels, and it's misrepresented a lot because it sounds so good, okay? It's this idea that Jesus seems to be saying that if we have but a little bit of faith, we can do anything that we want, okay? Even like moving the mountain, casting the mountain out, you know. Um, So let's say if someone takes this passage and says, well, you know, I believe I can fly, and, and believes that truly in his heart. Does that really mean, is Jesus really saying here that he can fly? Um, unfortunately, there's those, even in, in churches, in the Christian church, that, that, that really, I believe, misabuse this passage in the sense that, um, sometimes called the, the name-it-and-claim-it gospel, where they claim that so, as you want something, You just believe hard enough, and you will get it. So if you want a million-dollar mansion, although with Price in California, a million dollars really isn't really a mansion anymore. Um, If you want a $10 million mansion, you name it, you just believe strong enough, and you will get it. You want that car. uh, You want that boyfriend or girlfriend. You name it, and you claim it, and God will give it to you. And if you don't get it, the reason is because you didn't believe hard enough, that you did not have enough faith. Because, I mean, isn't Jesus saying here that if you just have a tiniest bit of faith, that you can get to anything. You can move even an insurmountable object. Um, the mustard seed that he uses here um, is actually is, is is very tall, tiny. It's about a millimeter, two millimeters. I forgot to put a picture of that. Um, but it's a very small seed, okay? so So it's not a... Big amount of faith, relatively, that Jesus seems to be saying here. So, how do we, how are we to understand this passage? There's two crucial points I think that need to be made um, to really understand what Jesus, the point that Jesus is is making here. And in this situation, the kind of a little bit more of the the Greek background behind this passage is is crucial for one of the points. the word or the phrase translated here in verse 20 because of your when Jesus rebukes the disciples it says that because of their little faith they were not able to to cast out this demon from this boy the word that's translated little faith more accurately actually has the meaning of incredulity or unbelief okay so Jesus is not actually making a point about the smallest or smallness or the the the, the littleness of the disciples faith Um, Rather, he is commenting about their attitude of unbelief, their incredulity that causes them to, to give up or to believe that the task is impossible. So the contrast that Jesus is making here, and this is a very important point, is not between, you know, just how much faith the disciples have. Rather, it's a contrast between the unbelief versus belief. So Jesus, earlier, he rebukes this faithless and twisted generation. It's not about the the little faith. It's about the fact that they lack faith entirely. And up to this point, the disciples, those who have been with Jesus for several years, even at this point, they still have not shown this true faith in the person of Jesus. It's not about how much faith that you have. Rather, it is about having any faith at all, even as much small as a mustard seed. Now, even the smallest faith is sufficient because the important thing isn't the quantity of our faith, but the object of our faith. And that's the first crucial point. It's not about the quantity of our faith, but rather it's about the object of our faith. If our faith is in God, the creator of the universe, the ruler of all things, then our faith will have great effect. Our faith makes a difference not because it is so great, but because God is so great. And we say that again. Our faith makes a difference not because our faith is great, but because God, the object of our faith, is so great. Now, doesn't this still bring us to that point then of what if a person really does believe you know, that, that God has given them the ability to fly. You know, that they, so long as they truly believe that God wants to give them that ability, that they can have it, you know, that they can be Superman, that they can be Captain Marvel. You know, and what if this person is so convinced um, that, that, that he or she's willing to prove that faith by, you know, even jumping off of a building? I don't know if any of you were, are fans of the show Heroes, long ago. It's been. A while. It seems like it's been a while. You know, if you remember that the character Peter Petrelli, he believed that he was a hero. He believed he had the ability to fly, and he was. And in that one of that episodes, you know, he was willing to try to demonstrate that by jumping off of a building. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything else in case if you're someone to binge watch that. Okay, no. <laughs> now. That's absolutely not the case, okay? Jesus is not telling us to go jump off buildings. Jesus is not telling us that, that we can do these, 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 these kinds of things. Um, and the reason is, and the second crucial point i wanted to make here is that our faith shouldn't be in the result that we may want, okay? Our faith is that God is in control and that he will bring about the result that he wants, not the result that that we want. And that is not easy because there may be difficult times when the much desired result that we long for may not be the result that God intends. In the passage that we're we're looking at here, the son, the father's son, was healed by Jesus. But I believe that many of us have experienced times when we've had our prayers to God go unanswered um God has seemingly been silent in response to our petitions for healing for for rescue from from tragedies um, for guidance, from answers, for things that have happening or are happening to us. maybe some of us are going through are facing that silence even right now and I want to turn to another book um, in the Bible to help us to understand and, and, and address these times and these situations where God seems to be um, silent. Um, the Book of Job is, is a very rich book, and it's not one that's often spoken you know, within the church just because of how tough it is to, 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 to read. Um, but the book of Job contains much that we can learn about God, even when he is silent. Um, it contains some of the most excruciating expressions of doubt um, in the Bible. If you look at the, in the book of Job, in the first several chapters, in the span of what seems like just minutes, um, Job has basically all of his earthly possessions wiped off. Okay? Um, his children are all perish in a tragic accident. And he himself was afflicted by painful sores from head to foot. And then most of the rest of the book is chapter after chapter of Job crying out to God, asking, "Why are you doing this to me? What have I done? You know, it's not fair. What is it that? Why are you um, doing these things to me?" The book of Job is described in the Bible, as one of the most righteous and God-fearing men who have ever lived. God himself called him blameless and upright. And yet this man that God called blameless and upright as a result of all the things that have happened to him accused God of being unjust for allowing these bad things to happen to him when he had apparently done nothing wrong. There have been times in my life when tough things have happened, and and I've been asking God why, why would You let something like this to happen? Like Job, I've stood up and voiced my concerns to God, and and it seems that He's all He's done doing is just looking at us. It seems like we've been trying to find an explanation for why something occurred, um, and yet no explanation has been forthcoming. One of the situations that um, still remember deeply uh, was when I was uh, in, in college my college days and I was serving um, in the youth group that I had that grown up in, with um, and we were on our way I was taking some of the kids in the group to to our fellowship uh, the youth group fellowship and um, it was a dark rainy night you know a lot like the ones <laughs> like a lot of the ones that we've been having here in California recently but um, we had just left like my house, just a few streets down past my house, and we saw there was you know, emergency lights, uh, traffic, uh, police officers um, redirecting cars around a, an accident that had just taken place. Um, we eventually arrived at our fellowship group, but in the middle of of our, our fellowship time, one of the guys uh, received a phone call, and he went out to to take that call. and um, And what happened was that. Um, his sister had been the one that had been driving that car that was in the accident that we had passed. Uh, she had actually was on her way with three of her friends that she had just recently invited to our fellowship group. They were on their way to our fellowship group um, when um, when the sister lost control of her car, swerved into oncoming traffic, and, and they suffered a head-on collision with the car going the other way. Um, none of the girls were wearing seatbelts, And unfortunately, three the three friends were all thrown from the car and were killed in that accident. Um, the sister herself survived um, because the airbag kept her in, in the car. Um, and for a very long time in our fellowship group, we, we wondered why would God um, allow this to happen. I mean, they were on their way to our fellowship meeting. They had just started coming to our church to hear and learn more about God. They were 16. No, Here's a whole. Why would God take them at that moment in time? When someone tragically loses a loved one, we want to try to somehow justify it or justify God by trying to point out some kind of positive outcome. And sometimes we can indeed see some positive spiritual growth taking place in the lives of those affected um, by the loss. This was the first experience of, of losing a person that we experienced in our, in our fellowship group. And, and certainly we can see that, you know, that there were a lot of deep conversations afterwards among our youth um, in the group. Um, it exposed to us our mortality that, that, that youthfulness isn't forever, that life is not forever. Um, and it caused several in our youth group to ask hard questions and make the decisions um, about their faith and understanding why they believe what they believe um, before it's before it 's too late. Um, later on, when I was serving as a youth pastor and there was a span of, of two years where it seems just an unending stream of tragedies occurred within our group. Um, we, our group of about like just twenty kids you know in the span of that short period of time, um, we had uh, three of our girls. Um, had their hip bones fractured as a result of accidents, like car accidents that they were, they were in. Um, two of the girls lost a brother in, in, in one of those accidents. Um, and then two of our other kids, uh, brother and sister, they lost their father um, through um, just a medical uh, situation, just in a totally unexpected medical situation. And, and like it before, I did see powerful things that God did, in, through as a result uh, of these situations. But even if we do see an explanation um, for what happened, that in itself, I don't believe, necessarily satisfies. Okay? Because no matter how good of an explanation we can come up with, it's not gonna replace that loved one. It's not gonna bring them back to us. The sense of loss is still there, and it is real. Okay? And I don't think as Christians that we need to deny the grief or deny that sense of loss, that sense of tragedy that says this, this, this was a bad thing that took place. Sometimes in the, we need for someone to somehow make sense of all this. You know, kind of like with, with Job, in, after all those things that happened to him, Um, Job wanted to know why God had poured these tragedies on his life. He was demanding answers because to him, he could see absolutely no reason why God would allow those things to happen to him. And when you look at the Book of Job, after all those chapters, towards the end, God finally speaks to Job. And there's like three chapters that are just absolutely powerful of God speaking and responding, or, or just speaking to Job. And when you read those chapters, um, what's interesting is what's missing in those in God's response. The thing that's missing in God's response, after all the things that have happened to Job, the thing that's missing is an explanation. That... Out of all the things that God says to Job, none of it is an explanation or an answer for why those things happened to him. God did not explain anything to Job. What God did, however, was make himself known. God made it clear to Job who he was, and in so doing, he showed Job who he was. That God revealed Himself as the ruler of this universe. God revealed Himself as the one who is in control of all things. Um, and what's really interesting is that for Job, this was enough. Despite all the things that had happened to him, when God revealed Himself and just re and re um, established to Job his place. Um, that that was enough for Job. And the theme of the book of Job, I believe, is this, that Job realized that he knew enough about God to trust him in those things that he himself did not understand. Let me say that again. Job realized that he knew enough about God to trust God in those things that he did not understand. There's a slogan that's you know, if you go to some, like a Christian rally or a praise night, that's, that's sometimes, you know, heroism says that. So again, goes, God is good. And the group responds, all the time. And then all the time, God is good. And if we know that this is true, then we can believe that in all, any circumstance, in any situation, God is doing something good, even if we don't understand how. It doesn't mean that there isn't a reason but I believe that we can trust God even when we don't know ourselves what that reason is or what the answer is. And I believe that it's more than likely that we probably can't even comprehend why these things are happening or the reason for it. It'd be like a two-year-old trying to understand Stephen Hawking talking about explaining quantum physics. Um, it's not that we there isn't an answer or there isn't a reason. But we cannot understand it. Um, when I was uh, growing up in, in high school, I went to high school in in Taiwan, and I lived in a kind of more rural area. There was um, farmlands around, and and there were there were farmers that would set out traps to trap animals for food, um, and there were some dogs in our neighborhood that I would, you know, my mom and I would take care of. We would you know, kind of feed them occasionally, just to kind of. Uh, help them out a little bit. And one day, one of our dog, one of those dogs, not our dog, um, I found one of the dogs trapped in these, this, this claw trap. Uh, if you've never seen one of these, um, it, that's, that's when it's closed. Okay, so when it's open, there's this big metal spring that, that clamps it tight around the animal's uh, paw. So imagine, you know, that dog's paw stuck inside of that, that trap. Um, and it's chained down, so you can't get away. Um, so we came across this dog, and I was like, how am I going to get this dog out of there? Um, I got, like, this big jacket, this thickest jacket that I could, put it on, and covered my arms up, and, you know, try to bear hug the dog, hold it down, so my mom could try to release that that trap. Um, but it was so tight that we could not get um, get the trap off. And the dog is, you know, going crazy with pain, because not only the pain of that trap, but us trying to remove the trap causes the dog even more pain. Um, and the dog is probably thinking, they're, they're, gonna, they're trying to hurt me. They are hurting me. You know, I need to get away. And the dog did not understand that we were trying to rescue it. All it knew was that we were causing it more pain um, as a result of what we were doing. And that's kind of maybe that situation that some of us find ourselves in, that maybe we are experiencing times of pain, deep pain, harsh pain, um, more pain that, than we feel that we can bear, and we don't understand why. But perhaps God does have a reason for that, even if we do not understand it. Now, there is a good ending for this story. Eventually, I was, um, I, was, uh, there was a doctor friend that we knew, um, and I got... Uh, a syringe of anesthesia, basically. And I. so I was able to... Uh, I had to run around the, the, our neighborhood for a while because the dog somehow broke free from the chain. The chain came off. Um, but I tra- traced the dog down, injected it, put it down to sleep um, so that I could take that trap off. And we, we got the trap off. And um, he was able to get around on three legs after that. Job understood um, this... And at the end, after God spoke to him, you know, he said, uh, responded to God saying, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Okay. His doubt was resolved, not because he received a reasonable explanation, but because he realized that he could continue to trust God even if he did not understand explanation. But how are we to know that God does have a good purpose for me? How do we know that? How are we supposed to trust God in that? How are we believers today supposed to know that God is good, he can be trusted, that we can place our faith in him? And I believe that it all goes back to the cross. That the cross is ultimately the source of our faith. That the God who gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, for mine and for yours, is the same God who spoke To Job. And that is why this cross is so crucial. And that is why that Jesus repeatedly told his disciples, even while he was doing this earthly ministry here, um, that he had to go to the cross, that he had to suffer, he had to die. You know, despite the disciples not understanding, the disciples trying to tell him, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to stay here. You're supposed to keep healing people. Uh, You're supposed to uh, free us from the Romans. Um, you know, Jesus could have stayed on earth for longer and healed more people while he was here. Um, but he had a bigger, deeper purpose um, that was beyond more than just alleviating uh, the sufferings, the, the human sufferings, um, the temporary earthly sufferings um, of the people that, that, that he met. What I have learned is that to make sense of it all doesn't necessarily require an explanation. Sometimes the comfort comes from the simple realization or faith that God is indeed good all the time, that all the time God is indeed good. Um, I say it's simple in the sense that it's not too complicated, not that it's easy, because it can be hard. And it's most definitely hard, especially when we're going through those, those circumstances. But by reminding each other of the ways that God has shown his goodness and grace to us in the past and in the present, we are able to encourage each other to face the future with hope and assurance, knowing that though we do not understand how, God is working for the good. Like Job, we are able to stand and say, I know that my redeemer lives, that in the end he will stand upon the earth. Because we believe that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth to atone for our sins, that he was crucified, that he was buried, He was raised from the dead. Because our Redeemer indeed lives, we also are able to stand in our faith in God. And I want to close then with this passage from Romans where Paul just ties this all in. Actually, before I say that, I thought it was just amazing that um, when when Lydia brought up the the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, um, the The person who wrote that lyrics, the original lyrics, was Horatio Spafford, and, and indeed, that's—I mean, he's like almost like a modern-day Job, with all the stuff that happened to him, and yet he was still able to to express to God, "It is well with my soul," because of that little bit of faith that, that he had, that faith that he had that God was there, was in control. Paul says in Romans chapter eight, "What then shall we say in response to this?" If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Father, kind of like this, um, this father in this story, or actually it says in Mark, um, where he cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. Help us, too, um, in the times when we are in doubt, when we are um, going through crises and tragedies that we don't understand. Help us to find that youth in you. Um, Help us to remember that you have already given to us all, that you have already given to us the ultimate uh, sacrifice of your Son, And that because of what he did on the cross, that we can have faith in you, um, that you have all things in control, that you have all things for our good. Jesus' name.